0: Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the
1: Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only
0: thing that matters.
2: We are recording live bitcoin podcast audio studio coming
1: at you from maryland and texas
3: maryland welcome
1: hey everybody welcome to the bitcoin podcast episode number 97 i'm your first host marcello and i'm host number two d i'm
2: that last host number three Corey.
1: last but not least
2: last but not least I'm
1: the least, but I'm first. Eh. Oh eh. no about that. It's the it's up for debate. We are equal. What? We're all equal.
4: <laughs> I don't even know where this conversation is going. Oh,
1: it's spoken like a true winner of a poll that I put up on Twitter. <laughs> that you took whatever, down. whatever favorite.
4: Yeah. Favorite. <laughs> like, this can't be public access. Take it down. <laughs>
2: I didn't <laughs> want to create
4: a divide. But... Yeah.
2: Right, um, didn't, uh, I didn't even see the poll. How oh, many man. votes did I get? How many votes did we have total to the, to the whole poll?
1: We got three. I got one. Oh, to that
2: That's not enough. I didn't to actually vote. Have I'll let you know that much. Well, it's clear I didn't, I didn't vote. vote because I didn't have a vote for myself. <laughs> so I vote. voted
1: for myself. So <laughs> technically it was zero, zero, 002. <laughs> You voted for yourself?
2: How long was the poll up? Like three minutes?
1: <laughs> it was only the six hours. Up like, Yeah. Know, whatever. Yeah. One day. And it was like from
4: 11 p.m. <laughs> to like 5 a.m.
2: <laughs> Here on the Discord podcast, we don't do polls. It was the best poll. It's the, the same, greatest poll.
4: It's the same polling they use on the news channels now. It's like they don't even say who did the poll. They did polls and quotations. Polls say Hillary Clinton is yeah. leading in Clinton's household. Like, oh really?
2: I like that they have to say like is that a scientific poll? Because the majority of polls are not scientific polls.
4: No, they're does not. Does that even
2: matter? It's like, well, fuck that it, it matters.
4: It's like they go to like a comic book convention and ask everyone if they like X Men.
2: Or comic like, books.
4: Like uh Huh?
2: Or just know that it's more like they go to a comic book convention and ask people if they like comic books.
4: Yeah. Hey, do you guys like comic books? Of course it we turns do out
2: ninety nine percent people like comic books poll completed
4: <laughs> let's tell everyone that everyone likes comic books
2: All right so money we have time. to pay the bills money time
4: yeah uh
1: shout out to both our sponsors for re-upping their sponsorship uh so <laughs> if you don't like Eskimo my bits well you're gonna hear a lot about them for a long time so maybe you're misinformed <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about them it's super easy and it only takes three steps all you got to do is register and deposit Bitcoin. Seller ships the item, buyer checks the goods, and releases the funds. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So, you know, if you're international, they got you covered. You know, Yuan, Canadian, USD, it's all good. They're going to charge a small, flat escrow fee of 1% on all the transactions. And uh, if that's too much, you could split the fee with the other party. So they thought of everything. Split that shit. Split it. Their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, and Corey, D, and I want there to no longer be any excuses on why not to use escrow. Start using it. So to start that process, go to their website make sure you sign up for that newsletter. Stay up to date. That's escrowmybits.com, where you can escrow your shit. Escrowmybits.com. All right. We are also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin. They aren't... I don't know if they're, I've been getting a lot of talk like, well, they're not the first. Well, it doesn't matter because they're the most trusted. So use them. Houston, mm. Fort Worth, Dallas, seven other US cities. And mm. uh, download that Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store, or Google Play, or for specific locations and more information, visit AthenaBitcoin.com. They're always adding new locations and they're awesome. They send us hats, they're cool. Now, we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, Bitquick.co. That's bitquick.co, the secure quick and easy. I mean, if it's secure and quick, would it wouldn't it be easy? If it's quick, it has to be easy, right? Anyway, secure quick easy. your Bitcoin <laughs> marketplace. Get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013. That's when I was introduced to Bitcoin, so that's cool. So where there's a
4: bank, there's BitQuick. Bitquick. That's your Bitcoin birthday.
2: Yep. Yeah. Corey, when's your Bitcoin birthday? I don't even know anymore. I forgot. Was it 2012? Sometime during my college years.
4: Are your college years fuzzy because of the uh, the amount of alcohol consumed?
0: No, I
2: don't think so. no
1: difference just, between now and then.
2: No, it's, I'm pretty much the exact same person. I just have <laughs> more knowledge. <laughs> Nothing else has so, changed.
4: If there's been a difference between drunken college Corey and drunken adult Corey, what what is the difference? Knowledge. So, like now, you just open the universe through words.
2: I mean, even though I'm I I I, I drink, <laughs> I am typically consuming some type of knowledge at the same time. Like I I read a lot. I I look up things. I'm trying to figure out how things oh, work. And since I've been a drunk Bitcoin and a scholar since then, I just read <clears throat> and search and tinker with and play with Bitcoin stuff since then. So I've gotten <clears throat> a lot of time to figure stuff out and have opinions, informed opinions on things. You get drunk and write Bitcoin code? Nah, not Bitcoin code. I, I Mostly when I dabble, I play with Ethereum. Anything I'm doing in terms of Bitcoin is mostly philosophical, like, theory of bitcoin why bitcoin works reading about things that understanding the entire environment or trying to understand the entire environment because it's so big I've never done any bitcoin scripting
4: what aspect of the bitcoin environment is like your fave like if you had to like it on facebook and so everyone could see
2: aspect of bitcoin is my favorite
4: economic aspect the no, currency I mean, aspect, the, the, the aspect. generalization
2: yeah. aspect, like it's, it's, it's a technology that allows that a lot of different things that are fundamental to the way humans interact to change and become more efficient. Like how it's done is going to take some iteration and some time, but it's really allowing people to kind of change the way we communicate. It's like we, we started out with like the internet and it worked, but it's not the best way to do things. Right. It worked really well. Mm -hmm. And then we stumble across a better way to do things. And now we gotta work to try and make that I don't know. It changes the way like humans talk and communicate and exchange value and allows us to I think operate more naturally as a human being. And so when it like that's why people like really are fascinated with it because they're like, oh, this is way more like comfortable, or, like the ideology of what Bitcoin can offer is way more comfortable, like how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. And then it just takes a while for that to become the infrastructure to be built out, so that we're actually able to do it. We're not there yet; it's cumbersome. But when it's there, it's going to be like, oh, this is how a human should interact with other humans and the devices that we have that make our lives easier.
4: So when I, so what we are saying, cello is like, what aspect of Bitcoin did Corey fave? Did he thumbs up on Facebook if for everyone to see price.
0: (laughs) So that would
1: be that for you the price that's everybody come on if you're saying anything different you're trying to sound smart it's price everybody wanted <laughs> to buy yeah, it's millionaires. oh cory yeah, got the call out. out
4: Corey got the call out um Corey,
1: i mean Corey saw that it was uh an exciting opportunity technology and innovation wise but i mean you can't how can you not get excited
2: about buying oh, in and, and oh i'm, the price I'm excited way. about that but like that's what initially got me into Bitcoin was like, Oh, this could be a cool investment. And then as I kept continuing to read about it, it really struck into my my like the, the technological nerve of like how humans interact with machines and use machines to, to better their, their communication amongst themselves. That yeah. is something that I that I find fascinating and really interesting. And then once I the more I read about it, the more my interest moved towards it. That doesn't mean that I'm not interested in price. I'm mean, me we have a little trading venture between a few of us mm-hmm. on the slide, Crypto Command. We watch it like a hawk. We're called Chimera Trading. Chimera Trading. Crypto
4: Command. Yep. Know about it. I'm the I'm the goat head. No, you're the goat head.
2: <laughs> no, I, was no, the, the goat. I was the Is snake tail. Lock? I was the snake tail. Yeah, you're the snake tail. What'd you say? Joe? That a
1: locked, that's a locked channel, right? That's I'm a not even channel.
4: in there. Yeah, that's a lock channel. That's yeah, very because I don't think you'd want to be in there. Allow,
1: they don't even allow me in my own
4: Slack. How about that? <laughs> I don't think you'd want to be in there, man. We talk about trading like we know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, that's the one channel where you could talk shit about me and I'll never know. <laughs> that in private channels. No, that's not true. You. The other channel we have for that is the talk shit about cello channel. And that, was, that, that, that was private. I, I overlooked that channel.
1: There it is. <laughs>
2: Um, if you're interested in talking, like, t- joining the talk shit about cello channel, join the Slack. It's on the web page. Yeah. yeah, we have should have a I competition: to top
4: five insults to cello, <laughs> and then whoever wins that gets some Bitcoin. I think I think I like Bitcoin the most because the po- I know this is like the the worst reason to like something, but the political aspect of Bitcoin. You like that? I love it because I think that if people were to get behind what it allows, then there would be no stopping it and it could usher in this total new paradigm shift, but people are not, it's weird when I talk to people and, and I bring that aspect of it up because they automatically start, it's like they start fearing like, but what's the government going to do though? Are they, they're going to, They're going to do something, right? And we're not going to be able to do what we want, right? And it's just like, wow, it's it's crazy how a system has just so beautifully designed behaviors for a person their entire life that when you give them an option like, hey, you could take your wealth out of that system, and then that system doesn't have as much power as it seems to have because that system is built on your wealth. So if you just take it out of that system, then that system has to then behave the way it's supposed to, and it's supposed to add the value to your life that it's supposed to, as opposed to taking away all the value and telling you exactly what to do and telling you exactly how to be. And they're like, no, Bitcoin can't become that that uh, powerful as a monetary device uh, because eventually a government's just going to stomp on it because they have to have control. And I'm like, well, if everyone uses it, And uses it in good faith. Then the government really can't do shit. Because they don't have the private keys. What are they going to go get everyone's private keys?
2: Well. Taxes have to happen somehow or another.
4: Yeah. Taxes do have to happen. And that's very true. But at the end of the day. there's
2: There's a real world. You're interacting with other people. And when you interact with other people. In a certain country for business. Then there has to be some type of regulation of that business. Otherwise. Roads don't get built. And the water you drink. Tastes like shit because there's shit inside of it. Well, so how would, how confusing. does a government interact with a monetary system that is completely separated from it? Which is something that I don't think has ever been done.
1: Well, there's a there's a it threshold. Hasn't. If if Bitcoin goes above a certain price, then they can start then they can start taxing you. you no. Yeah, they said that mining Bitcoin is treated as immediate income at market value. <laughs> and then they allow you to offset income by up to $3,000 per Bitcoin on capital losses. So if Who it goes that? above 3000 it's on the, the uh, government website.
2: Oh, well, how about that? So I'm actually ignore... going to be recently, uh, I'm soon I'm going to be taking some uh, certification courses for the law side of Bitcoin. Well, I'm not against taking, I'm not
4: against paying taxes. All right. I'm not against, I'm not anti-government. I'm anti-non-value-adding government. Or not adding as much value as they possibly could. Inefficiently? Like, inefficient run. government. Yes, I'm, I'm against that. And I'm against the treacherous laws I put on quotation that are put in place to staunch things because somebody wants to get rich. Like that can stop happening if there's a public ledger because the people will (sighs) put up with it. Hopefully. I don't know. But. You're talking about lean government. I'm talking about like the automotive industry in America right now and how companies like Tesla are staunched at almost every turn because they're trying to make something that's good. And that's great. But the automotive industry has put so many laws in place that it's almost impossible for Tesla to be successful. It is going to take a leap of faith for Tesla to be successful nationwide.
2: I'd say they're doing a pretty it's, good job. They're it's doing more okay. probable
4: for their cars than their solar energy
1: roofs because a lot of states aren't allowing that. The other, yeah, yeah. a harder time
4: with solar energy than cars. Yeah, because these companies, the oil companies, and the, even the renewable energy companies, whatever they are, they they start paying these lobbyists, and then the lobbyists go and they influence the legislators, and then all of a sudden, great companies trying to do good things have just a wall of red tape. See, that's stupid to me. That's a government being inefficient.
2: I think those barriers are slowly starting to come down, and it's and I think the inefficiencies are becoming more and more obvious and being shored up over time because. Of the like, almost the transparency of, it's 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 almost it's so much harder to do things in secret these days than it used to be, and because of that, the companies who used to kind of act shady are now have quite a bit of accountability because they're they're being exposed much quicker and easier and so on and so forth, and Mm -hmm. over time I think that's going to continue to kind of shore up those a lot of the inefficiencies and barriers that companies like Tesla may have getting into the marketplace it's like the new the new meta is Mm -hmm. you know organic free range cruelty free
0: business
2: (laughs) (laughs) cruelty
4: free business man i yeah you're right it's impossible to keep things secret not even like kim kardashian could keep her uh sex tape secret with ray J. That was on it burners. leaked. That shit was on it, le- it leaked. I'm putting quotations. You guys all can't right. see it, audience.
1: Yeah, but when that leaked, leaked, we didn't know who she was, so it wasn't as exciting.
4: I knew who she was because I happened to watch a lot of ETV. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, no, I used to when I was a kid. I watched Wild on E, and then sure. the channel would just stay on. And then so, I knew about all that celebrity well, stuff. It came
1: out at like midnight, so you would watch all daytime programming to get to Wild on
4: at midnight. Well, no. This is the way it works. My TV stays on as white noise, right? So when Wildon was on at midnight, and I was getting my teenage kid on, I would just turn my TV off, right?
2: I think that might be a better name for the E channel. It's just white noise. White noise.
4: Yeah. And then so We're when I turn my back on, <laughs> the computer going, then I hear all the celebrity news. But anyways, um, you ever wonder why like normal people's sex tapes don't get leaked? Like, is there some like bandit going on the internet scrubbing people's hard drives trying to find normal people's sex tapes?
0: And I think, so, I think,
4: I
1: think if you go to you porn, I bet you a lot of it are like soldiers retaliating. And I, I bet you not all those videos have consent, but a lot of it is like, you know what, you cheat on me, fuck you, here's our sex tape, boom.
2: You might be right about that. Yeah, isn't that illegal? It has to be illegal. Like, I don't know. I'm sure. I, I guarantee you that if we, if you asked the company, they would say they take down a lot of unconsented videos because uh, people writing in saying that's me and I don't consent. Like there's, there's a whole. I'm sure there's a whole world that we are not privy to that I don't even want to be privy to. We should do some grassroots journalism. <laughs> we <laughs> I, should. Do I, go ahead. I'll let you. i yeah. come back and report on that one. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dig in there. It's not a world oh. that I want to dive into. Hello, you poor. This is Dimitri with the Bitcoin podcast. I have some questions
4: I'd like to ask you. Yeah. No. Um, how do we get to porn?
2: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> every conversation so naturally goes on a Bitcoin side. The. Uh, Zero point thirteen point one node count is above the zero point thirteen point zero node count, which, which means uh, Segwit is coming in this bitch. Yeah, people are people are adopting, and that was fast, right? That's pretty fast. Yeah, people are people still- want better people Bitcoin. Are still on zero point twelve point one, the majority is still quite a bit on there. I don't know where these guys got these polls, but uh, bitnodes.21.co dot twenty one co slash nodes. So I you think can that see a breakdown of. Uh, versioning people don't like change i think
4: i think a lot of people don't like change i think it's like the majority of human beings because change is tough so whenever they got that old version and it's working just fine they're like what new oh i think that's one of the advantages that millennials have is because we're so used to change all of our software changes all the fucking time all of our video games change rapidly. Everything that we've grown up with changed very rapidly all the time. So it's just like, oh, a new change? Let me figure out how these menu options work now. Okay, cool. I got it. You just said that change is tough. There's a guy named Jason Shen
1: that created changeistough.com. He shares your idea. <laughs> That's <is> what
0: <laughs> Joe does when you're talking.
4: <laughs> well, he's checking he out on main names. I think change is tough for people that are, like, under the age of, or over the age of, I'd say, 32,
2: 33, 34. There we yeah, go, 34. Speaking, yeah, speaking to that, my, like, like me, whenever a new operating system comes out for, like, the various flavors of operating systems that I use, I download it immediately. We're gonna, and I know that it's going to break some of the functionality of the programs that I use. But it's like, all right, cool. I'm gonna find a way to fix those things when I find yeah. a break because I'm interested in that type of stuff. When I was <coughs> working, uh, when I was working on my PhD, my my mentor refused to ever upgrade anything ever, and he had <laughs> like he had the same exact same system, exact same environment, everything. 56k for, modem, like the for like the seven years. That I was, that I was like doing my, uh, that I knew him from <laughs> undergraduate to graduate school. And I, I was like, I was like, "You're gonna upgrade that ever?" And he's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "He would he wouldn't buy a new computer because he was worried about the new operating system and having to go through and reconfigure all of his tools." And it, don't get me wrong, there's a there's a a threshold here. Like I was probably on too far on upgrading my shit. He was probably a little too far on never upgrading the shit should wait for like, you know, version 0.1, like, you know, X.1 so that it, they fix all the you know, quick bugs that you find with anything that's brand new and shiny. Mm-hmm. But uh, the older people are more, very reluctant to change anything because they don't want to have to go through the hassle of figuring out what changed and what broke and how to fix it. Whereas the younger community, people like us and around our age are just like, yeah, change is inevitable. I'll just figure out how it works, how it works later and adapt.
1: Is this a good is this a good segue for me to tell you a story about my mom this week?
2: Yeah, yes, it so. is. I think so. Later. Right.
1: So I had some photos from Halloween. Some photos, and I sent them to her email. And she said, Why didn't you send them to my phone? I don't know what to do with these photos in the email. And that's a story about my mom who's been using the internet for 20 years.
4: <laughs> she didn't know. Okay, we're not going to go and she, right, well,
1: all- she, she didn't know that you can right-click, download, or download and just click the photo. So Corey is very right. Old people are very reluctant to do anything outside of their comfort zone, even if it's as easy as downloading a email attachment.
2: Yeah, but to, like, to, to, play advo- like, to advocate her side of the story, we haven't made it incredibly easy to choose a singly useful place to download photos. Right, we ha- you have almost infinite options on where you store your photos. That's the beauty
1: of it. And then it used to be the- photo market Then it was the cloud.
2: I, I have I have photos all over the place from old computers to old phones to Dropbox to Google Photos to my my laptop on my phone everywhere, and yeah. consolidating them is difficult. When, if, if they're not consolidated, they're not going to really ever, ever going to be looked at. And Man. It's like through this technological progress that we've had, people keep making different ways or better ways to do the exact same thing. And over time, you have this almost like option paralysis of what what do I choose to do? There's too many options. Fuck it, I'm just not gonna do it. And that may be that may be a problem with like I don't want to say it's a problem with you know implementations of Bitcoin because that's not an, that's not an issue. It, it's possibly a problem with like implementations of development environments for Ethereum. as I've set up different ways to try and work with the uh, solidity and contracts and kind of tinker and play around, I had a hell of a time trying to find one to use that was maintained up to date, worked well, I didn't have to install seventeen different plugins to get it to be useful. Do you ever get scared, like, because you don't
4: know where all your dick pics might be? I don't have dick pics. None. Zero. Zero. That's false. I you never sent
0: Aaron have... a dick pic.
4: No. No.
2: That's false. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. I'm looking, I'm looking at you. Look at yourself. Think. I am I've thinking. I'm literally thinking that about, that about it. it. I've never. No, never done it. I think Never that's what it lame. is.
1: You, you know, you find your wife when you don't send a dick pic. That's the <laughs> one you marry.
2: <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's, I maybe don't, that's Just one some love. You just drop some wisdom
1: on the world. I don't remember sending Sheena one, so maybe that's accurate.
4: I haven't sent dick pics in a while, so that's inaccurate, my friend. But I sent a bunch when I was younger. I don't know where they are. I don't remember thunders- if that out on the internet. Like, there's right. some uh, thunderstorm cloud of dick pics out there, and uh, <laughs> that's where they all end up. Somebody's, some random internet cloud of everyone's dick pics.
2: It rain rain and thunder on the internet somewhere. Some, some weird cyber hacker is, is like just slowly scrubbing the internet and collecting. And they work at the NSA. And collecting. They work at the NSA
4: as a means to uh, identify people.
2: Anyways, um, where are we going next? Let's let's transition after that into our, our interview. All
1: okay. right. Uh, there is a potential for blockchain, and it's enabling capabilities to solve core problems in healthcare. I know that's kind of a weird jump from porn <laughs> to nodes to healthcare, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> uh, but the fact remains, healthcare is at a tipping point, and uh, Redox is a modern API for EHR integration, which is the bridge from health systems to the cloud and back. And we, I, I, I reached out to Q. Harrison Terry, but as a bonus, uh, James Lloyd, who is the CTO of the company, is uh, joining us. Uh, Q. Harrison Terry is uh, the growth engineer and marketing director, respectively. So <laughs> pretty cool stuff. And uh, it was my first, uh, well, my second solo interview, and I had a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. let's get into it. Here it is. Cool. So... I guess, uh, before we jump into things, I actually just started working in the medical field as well, so I wanted to get you on, as I like to think we're, we're a lot alike in ways, and I reached out to you to see how I could somehow learn my talents, uh, and you were gracious enough to set aside 30 minutes to speak with me in terms of uh, mentorship, and then, you know, you agreed to come on this podcast, so I think that's a testament of, you know, how generous you are with your time and your willingness to help people, so thank you first and foremost.
3: Anytime, anytime.
1: And uh, for people unfamiliar uh, with both of you and your, your line of work, if you guys could give us a quick rundown of who you are and where your interest in blockchain first came into play.
3: Yeah, awesome,
5: James, I'll let you start. Great, yeah, so my name is James Lloyd, I'm the CTO at, at Redox, um, I'm sure we'll get a, get into a little bit more detail in, in what we do, but uh, essentially you can think of us as, uh, as an API provider for uh, healthcare data, so... Um, for those of you who may be familiar with um, other products like maybe a Twilio that helps you send um, SMS and, and interact with with uh, communications over an API, or Stripe that lets you interact with financial transactions over an API, you can sort of think of us the same way, um, but we're healthcare data over an API.
3: Yeah, and I'm a QR Harrison Terry. I work at Redox. I work with James, but more so in the marketing department, and yeah. I'm um, just I uh, write articles, start, study computer science. Aside from that, it's pretty much what I do day to day.
1: Yeah, my first question was actually in relation to that. For Q Harrison, I was f- first introduced to you by your article on LinkedIn explaining the, I guess, the layman's of blockchain, which was met with Kardashian hate and one guy saying blockchain in layman's terms is nothing more than a bunch of hackable databases daisy chained together, and my mind was just. I was just irritated you know how frustrating is this whole space to on-ramp or even discuss it with people in your circle especially with someone who's you know a director of marketing
3: oftentimes man i look at blockchain as uh it's one of those topics that exists at the the top of i guess i would say nerdiness like if the if nerdiness was a mountain for like this is at the peak and you know you can look at the peak from various viewpoints right like you can be at the uh, you can be at the top of the mountain or you can be at the bottom of the mountain and, and the perspective is different. I think even more so myself. Like I don't I would never claim to say that like you know I've mastered blockchain and know everything about it. But I mean I, I I tend to respect it. Um and I mean I get where people come in. I mean it's a it's a hard concept to wrap your head on, especially since it's not um what it's it's something that's not really tangible.
0: Yeah that's
5: Oh, the other thing I was just going to chime in on there is that uh, you know healthcare is is in some ways by necessity a little bit of a laggard with a lot of technology. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're talking about um, you know sharing photos with your friends or or you know you know streaming movies online or anything like that, the the privacy and security requirements are actually quite a bit lower. And so I think you know blockchain is one of those interesting places where it's where it, it starts to accelerate the topic of, of, you know, some of these security and privacy concerns, but it really is healthcare as an overall industry is, is very comfortable and is kind of used to being uh, a slow adopter of technology. Um, And, and it sort of kind of tends to go down the consumer then to financial then to healthcare kind of, kind of rolling space. And that's really where, where people's mindsets are. and, And from a, from a purely healthcare technology adoption kind of kind of space.
1: Yeah. And I guess to add to that, it's also highly regulated, much like financial services. And this, uh, I guess it adds a, a significant hurdle for any startup trying to enter the space because, you know, blockchains are not good you know, data stores. Not all health information can be stored on it. Instead, most startups think a digital identity that points to health records somewhere else is what would be housed on a blockchain.
5: Yeah, and and I I think that's very much it's very much up for debate in terms of how this is actually gonna get implemented in the healthcare space. Um and maybe maybe even if if at all. Um I think the most compelling use cases so far have been ones where you see the financial sector start to intersect with the healthcare sector, and then other ones where there's there's a very, very clear um kind of niche use case rather than saying, you know, I'm gonna store my entire patient record. Um you just say I'm gonna store individual um like lab results transactions from a specific device as as a as a blockchain transaction so i think the you know there there are a lot of, there are consortiums and there are different groups out there that are trying to source these these use cases and get them funded through grants and things like that right now so um i think it's very very early days in the healthcare space of figuring out how we're going to how we're going to use blockchain
1: how would you how would you guys approach it like do we start simplifying the management and transfer of health records and information or should we approach it from another starting point? What do you guys think?
5: Thank you. And I may have, may have some different opinion, opinions here, but um, so one of the use cases, so I, I really like taking very, a very use case driven product development approach with, with anything that that goes on in healthcare. I think we're part of the reason why we're in, in kind of the very, hyper academic space that we're in right now it, in, in terms of interoperability and just general tech adoption and healthcare is that we try to, we try to boil the ocean with everything that we try to do. So, um, rather than saying, you know, let's come up with the, the sort of ivory tower, one solution for everybody, kind of, uh, healthcare blockchain, um, really, really approaching it from a specific, a specific use case. So one that I really like is is examining how we could use blockchain to do what's some, what's called advanced directives, which is basically uh, kind of legal requests for do not resuscitate type type requests for a patient. Um, so those are th- those are things that need to be shared. The things that are fine to to live in the public as an individual data element. Um, so you can map it pretty closely to to a, a public you know like to like the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. Whereas there are other, other other use cases that are being more imp- you know, proposed as private um, private blockchains where, you know, you don't have, you know, the, the same kind of proof of work type type algorithms going on in place. So at any rate, I would say very use case driven and I really like advanced directives as an initial use case for, for that in a, in a public blockchain.
3: I think blockchain could possibly be used in the space um, with, uh, I guess I would say, the... Uh, EMR first responder so use case. Um, I've seen a, I've seen it utilized at the uh, Distributed Health Hackathon. That was one of the projects. Um, it was called Emergency Chain, and basically, it uh, it it stored. It was a permission based blockchain, so it, it, it's a it's a derivative of the actual blockchain, and uh, It allowed. Um, it, it, allowed it, it basically was an interesting model. It had some flaws, but I could see it being used in an EMR first Respondent situation
1: then that's uh what did you say ehr
3: e- e- or, uh, emergency first responder so oh, like okay. the the ambulance
5: folks like the ems team right yeah ems my bad i'm learning a lot as we go excuse me
3: yeah <laughs> no likewise man i just got in healthcare th- three four months ago so it's a lot yeah. of
1: time i just signed an offer <laughs> letter today so it's it, totally new for me
3: congrats And <laughs> um, now, now you gotta get your hipaa certification
1: yeah, I, I, what I do specifically, it's a company that manufactures and markets the devices and products for the fields of orthopedics and uh, endoscopy. So it's totally new. I, I came from the tech field, so I'm trying to wrap my head around it.
3: Hey, we're in the same boat. Yeah,
1: uh, it, it's a little troubling to hear that you know healthcare takes its time adopting tools. Um, I, I know it's a big question, but I mean, how do we change this? Because it's the whole system. I think the goal here is to reduce the complexity that frustrates everyone involved. So uh, is there anything that we can do aside from, you know, let's not focus on blockchain. What can we do from a marketing standpoint?
5: Yeah, I think there are, I would say there are a handful of legitimate reasons why why healthcare gets slowed down. And and I think, you know, the, just the the overall privacy and, and general value of the, of the data requires that, you know, you spend something up, and from a technology standpoint, or from a software standpoint, that's a little bit more robust. Um, and I think there are services out there that are that are really um, they're really trying to solve that, fill that gap around, you know, how do you be HIPAA compliant from day one, things like that, that are really helping helping drive uh, drive sort of the the overall time down. Um, you know, from our side, uh, integration projects without us take you know six months typically, and with us, you know, maybe two or three weeks. Um, so I think there's, you know, there there are different, uh, um, are different folks in the industry that are trying to solve individual problems that, that are, are really causing this uh, the slow adoption. But um, you know, ultimately, I think it's got to get. There's there's a general shift in who the purchaser of the of the technology is, continues to evolve away from kind of the, the entrenched healthcare IT team, you know, the, the, the sort of database managers at the, at the hospital, more towards the, the actual patients and providers are the ones that are able to select their own um, software solutions, then they'll be able to to really, then there'll be a more competitive landscape. And, and it'll, be, it'll be less about responding to a particular RFP and more about creating a compelling user experience, whether that's for a provider or a patient,
1: yeah, I think for me, I think that those offering tech solutions to the industry don't actually understand the day-to-day flow of providing healthcare. I think, you know, James and uh, uh, Q Harrison, you are special people that have the toolkit to move the industry further. I, I just don't think there are too many of you.
5: Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, it, it, it could be. I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I love what we're doing is, um, you know, it's we're not only building a... Uh, an in, a solution to an individual problem, but we're really, um, we're really trying to build a community around what we do. Um, community of software developers. I don't think there's, there's really a, a great a great place right now that that people have to go and, and hang out and just talk healthcare IT at a, at a super high level. And um, I I hope that the community we're building around us is is starting to become that. Absolutely, I would agree with that. And I guess right now, the shameless plug for uh, on, on our website, we do have a, a public Slack channel. Um, and we have about 600 members or so right now that uh, hopefully can be that place where, um, you know, people feel comfortable discussing, uh, you know, solutions they're trying to implement or problems they're trying to solve in a in a, in a safe space and, and get feedback from peers. Oh, yeah. I'll
1: definitely let people know about that. We have a Slack that we're trying to populate We know how challenging it can be. I think we have like 40, 50, and we're pretty happy about that, let alone 600. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's, um, I guess if you bring a blockchain in a normal conversation, most people will immediately start thinking about Bitcoin. What what are you guys' interest level in acquiring and spending Bitcoin?
3: I I got into it earlier in college, um, just mined a couple of coins or not even a couple of coins, a couple fractions of a coin. Um, and I, I just realized that I had one computer at the time and I just realized I didn't have enough communi- com- computing powder to even uh, ever get rich off Bitcoin. So I hopped out the game. Oh, you were trying to mine? Yeah, I was trying to mine. <laughs> yeah, me too. It didn't
1: go over well. <laughs>
5: yeah. James, did you ever try to mine coins or any other cryptocurrencies? No, I, I really just tried to understand it at a at a sort of an academic level. And for a while, I got interested in the you know in the in the various exchanges and how those were working and how those were were setting prices, but more from a kind of academic economic standpoint. Gotcha. Did you ever do any of the or I guess a question
3: for you, Cello? Did you ever do like Litecoin or anything that wasn't Bitcoin, Dogecoin? Yeah,
1: that's what we mined. Me and my uh, co-host, we, uh, we mined Litecoin, and my uh, buddy's father had a shed, and we built a supercomputer in the shed. And uh, it ran 24-7, and the electricity bills went up, and uh, it got harder and harder to the point where it wasn't worth it anymore. So we mined a little bit of Litecoin, uh, and then we sold it for profit. Um, it was an interesting experience, but it's nothing to you know buy a yacht over.
3: Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe you should uh, put it put it on LinkedIn. I'll share it for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool.
1: Well, I think there was one more thing I wanted to touch on. I read an article. I think it was like the pitfalls of blockchain and healthcare, how blockchain vendors want customers locked into their platform. And the network effect of attracting many companies to their platform increases with switching costs. And this gives vendors control of customer data and the ability to raise prices. And I, I believe the the point of the article was that this was an unacceptable scenario for many companies. Uh, I didn't know if maybe you guys could kind of expand on that.
5: Was that your article, Q?
3: No, that's not my article. I didn't talk <laughs>
5: about the pitfalls of healthcare and blockchain. All right, cool. Yeah, so I think I think one of the things just to hit on there around the. Uh, the, the switching costs and everything like that is that, you know, there, there is a, there is a decent amount of, um, uh, in general in healthcare, you know, the, because of the, the high barrier to entry, um, it comes with a high switching cost, right? So, you know, when you think about, um, moving from one calendar app on your phone to another or something like that, right? You just delete one, you install the other and you're done. Um, in healthcare, it's, it's never, it's never that, that easy, at least right now. Um, and so, I think whenever you're talking about switching costs, you know, you have to think about this this uh, sort of pretty pretty high barrier to entry and a, and a lot of a lot of startup cost on on getting an getting a service implemented at a given at a given site, whether that's a clinic or a hospital or wherever it may be. Um, and so, so with that, I think uh, you know that that tends to be um, that tends to be a, a moat that a lot of that a lot of entrenched technologies rely on, which unfortunately means that. As long as the the mode is wide enough to offset the whatever incremental benefit that a new service would have, uh, health systems tend to stay with the old one, um, and I and I think that might be kind of what they're getting at there with the.
1: All right, I think I put it in perspective for me. Uh, let me see. I think that's all I got for blockchain. Q Harrison, I did have a question for you. I'm a. I'm a big advocate for getting people of color on the on the show because I feel like there isn't enough of us in the space, and maybe perhaps you feel the same way. Just wanted to ask if you could kind of give us your own take on the mm-hmm. importance of uh, cultural diversity in either healthcare or the crypto space. Your take?
3: That's an interesting question on healthcare. I feel like I'm not ready to speak on that one yet. In the tech <laughs> startup space, I guess I can I can address that. Um, I feel like. So, like, diversity and and just startups in general, I feel like, you know, we're going to see it. It's coming, right? And I think that um, just when you look at the startup economics of, like, you know, how VCs work and how to to raise venture capital and how to actually have a startup, um, you know, it favors predominantly a Caucasian male. That's just how the system was kind of like – that's how it formulated. However, like, at the end of the day, VCs do want to make money, right? So, they're not – they don't necessarily have a bias towards, um, you know – is it like I don't think they have a racial bias. I don't think the VCs really care about color more so than how much they care about what the term sheet says and how much uh, money they can make at the end of the day. And so, as one thing that you'll notice, um, is there's a lot of entrepreneurs of color that are starting to emerge. Uh, just this week, Joe Spearman, um, out of uh, Austin just raised $4.2 million. Oh, yeah. Uh, good for, yeah, a good friend of mine. Um, He's uh he's a he's 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 no different than an entrepreneur he's a, he's a, he's a entrepreneur of color and he's no different than any other entrepreneur right at the same time um it just took him a little while and he he fought and basically it took him what two three years to raise that 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 Series A or that seed round but um I'm doing that and I think that that's because right now the people that are in the game the Tristan Walkers the Joas the the founder of Blavity. I actually don't remember her name, but um, she's also a person of color. Um, they they, they are the pioneers right now, right? And so yeah. once they succeed, they'll open new doors. Um, people like me, I think that like we're learning, and you know, one day if I decide to ever start a company again, I'll go and you know. But we need pioneers, and I also think that it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur of color because you actually have the first mover's advantage on. I guess I would say like seeing different industries right so if you can understand um vc economics and how like vcs think and you can even get in the room where you can pitch and raise money and you also can understand your own culture you'll understand that there's a lot of uh products that have yet to be um created and or fulfill the need in the market so that's just my two cent take um in healthcare, that's uh, that's something i'm still learning and i'll i'll give my thoughts on that later
1: well, when I when I think of entrepreneurship, I usually think Silicon Valley, New York, Chicago, Austin, Dallas. I mean, it, what's it like being in Wisconsin and, and trying to push out these ideas?
3: Um, it's a little different. I mean, I I travel frequently, so I've been you know it's a I go to New York about every two months to uh, try to frequent Cali at least three four times a year, and uh, Chicago it's our back it's in our backyard, so we can kind of get there. Um, so like I feel like. It's awesome being in Wisconsin because I don't feel the prices that I would feel as if as if I was living in San Francisco or if I was living in New York, right? So I have a lot of friends that live out there, and you know they can barely afford um, one room and not have a roommate, whereas like you know me, I have four rooms and pay. Not even a third of the price is some of my, my crazier friends, right? Sure. Just when it comes to rent. So the cost of living in Wisconsin is great. And I think that that's why Redox is also headquartered in Wisconsin. I mean, like, you know, um, there's something to be said without not with like with having the with ha- with with having a low, a low living expenses, right? There's no reason why you should be paying four four or five thousand dollars a month in rent and not only in the crib. <laughs> I
1: agree. I in. I mean, I'm in Texas for a reason.
3: Gotcha. Yeah. So <laughs> Wisconsin's not a bad spot. I mean, if you're going to try to raise your entire round in Wisconsin, you might be a little delusional, but that's about <laughs> it.
5: It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll also throw on there that uh, Wisconsin, actually, Madison in particular, has a, a pretty, pretty deep healthcare uh, startup scene for its size and, and maybe just in general. Um, yeah. I'd say there's probably, you know, maybe on the order of about 40 or 50. Um, decently funded startups in Madison. And I'd say probably two thirds of those are in the healthcare space. Um, and a lot of, a lot of good talent coming out of the university. And then there are a couple of large employers in town too, that, um, that are pretty active in the healthcare IT space that, that, that drive a lot of that.
3: Yeah. And last, absolutely. lastly, the internet, man. I mean, like the, the, you shouldn't be limited by your space or where you, where you, where you are anymore because I mean like with LinkedIn or with Twitter, or with, um, facebook uh, email you can communicate essentially with anybody and there's nothing that beats like in person face to face but i mean social media and the internet does augment it quite a bit
1: yeah i mean you're here because I, i didn't know anyone that knew you i didn't add you i just saw something that you written that went viral so i mean you're absolutely right i mean you can get that voice out there just by you know typing a couple paragraphs absolutely uh, let's talk a little bit about marketing a little bit. How do, how do you start to digitally refine the way a company grows and how we interact with our customers? And I mean, why you're at it, I mean, how do you think we're doing? Like, when I approach you to do the show, obviously you check this out.
3: Um, great question. I mean, the way I approach marketing is more so be, it's behavior based, right? So, mm-hmm. oftentimes when you only think marketing, people think uh, sales and marketing go together or like it's about message or it's about strategy. But you have to start off with the behavior, right? And so, the, the first behavior you can oftentimes look at is like, you know, one podcast or who are people that are listening in the podcast, right? And you realize that people were listening in the podcast, but also own a Bitcoin wallet. So they'd probably listen to the Bitcoin podcast. And so essentially, if you start off with behavior or if you start targeting behaviors, you can start to build a product and a message around those certain behaviors. And you start to create, uh, I guess I would say you can start creating timeless products. Um, or timeless sales methods because like those behaviors might seldomly change but if you pick the right behaviors the person you're targeting um, will always have well they'll be repeatable a good example of this is amazon.com right Mm -hmm. Um, if you're If you're looking to buy something and you want it to be super cheap, you can go to Amazon.com. But they don't position their brand to be in a spot where like, oh, we have 99 cent deals every day, right? Um, They have that if you're looking for it. But if you want to buy the most expensive watch, you could probably buy that on Amazon.com. And if you need just to get something and you want it to be convenient, have it delivered, you can get it on Amazon. That's because you'll notice a lot of their marketing is built around um, behaviors. And so that's that's one thing I guess I would say, like, advice if you're starting out in marketing or if you want to, like, know how to grow um, your brand is, like, really think about the behaviors and then build from there.
1: James, anything to add to that?
5: Yeah, so whenever I think about marketing, I, I always think about developer experience. So my, my role is very much more on the, on the product side of things. And... Um, I think for those of us that are making developer tools and, and, and interacting with, with other fellow developers, I think it's, it's, uh, it's all about, for me, it's all about empathy and, and, and kind of telling your product story and the, and the, and the story of the problem that, that the person you're trying to help is, is facing. So, um, you know, definitely, definitely sort of yourself as, um, you know, here's the solution. But let me let me empathize first with your problem, and then walk you through how, how we're gonna solve it together. I think that's that's my sort of our general product approach to to marketing. I guess from a sort of self service platform sort of standpoint.
1: Absolutely, I appreciate those two perspectives. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure I get this right before we get out of here. Uh, what was it? The real world application, hype and real world application. You have something going on on November the 11th with uh, Gem. Uh, I want to make sure you guys plug that, and, and our audience gets uh, all the right information.
3: Yeah, we'll be having a more in-depth conversation with Jim um, there and uh, Redox, and it's going to be this uh, this, coming fr- this coming Friday. So not this Friday, but the Friday coming up, mm-hmm. and um, we'll be talking about the future of uh, healthcare and blockchain, um, very similar to this conversation, but a bit more in depth. Um,
1: Yeah, that works for me. Um, I'm going to have my finger to the pulse. Um, I enjoy reading all y'all's information. I think that quick theories thing is brilliant, so I check my inbox for that. Uh, James G. Harrison, I just think you're you're both doing a great job. Um, I only got one last question, and we ask everybody, um, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Whoever wants to take that.
3: I gotta think on this one. Give me a second, James. What do you have, James?
5: Yeah, so let's see here. <laughs> kind of ad libbing here. Uh, no, that's, that's a good one. So um, I would de- I would describe Bitcoin as um, an an effective hey. implementation. My words, anyway. So, an Can effective implementation for, I'm for uh, decentralizing trust in a financial transaction, um, and I, I choose all those words kind of carefully, knowing that knowing where we're coming from and sort of this. how people are approaching the healthcare space. But um, that's, uh, I guess, that's my answer. Yeah.
3: Man, um, uh, you said ten words or less, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no pressure.
3: Um. I would call it uh ma what I think uh it was go with uh I think it's ma- magical. <laughs> 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 um hey, digital magic money or something like that. Something hey, wrong. Sorry. Take it. Yeah, digital digital magic money or digital yeah, digital magic money. <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> magic uh-huh. digital money <laughs> Well, I'm going to make sure that on, the, on this episode, I'm going, to, I'm going to link to you guys' articles, uh, the website, what you guys do. And um, i like yeah. to have you guys back on, man, because and, and I, I, I'm a marketer myself. I'm a UI designer. I, I just want to hear more about you as, I mean, the longer you work there, the stuff that you learn, you know, you, both of you guys are always invited back to kind of tell us the latest developments and what's going on. Your, the offer is always on the table.
3: Thank you, and um, yeah, feel free to embed the. I'll send you the, or if you have the link to the Crowdcast, it's just Crowdcast.io forward slash uh, blockchain. Um, if you just link that on the page, then people can sign up and get more information about the event. That would be greatly appreciated. I got you. Thank you, sir.
1: All right, thank you, both for your time so much.
5: Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Right.
4: Hey, cello, I'm gonna come buy Street Fighter Five off of you. For real? In fact, I'm gonna do that right now. How much did you pay for it? Twenty eight dollars. I'll give you twenty. Okay.
1: Sounds like I'm gonna go buy Rocket League. I got this loaf of bread, but I don't have a knife. I'm gonna use a doorstop, and it's gonna work
2: great. <laughs> so, in the interim of us doing around there, Cello has been posting. Many, many, many bad infomercial gifts to the Slack. Oh wait, I got to bring us in before you
4: wait, and we were gonna explain that. Uh, and that was the interview. All right,
2: Corey, go explain. <laughs> yeah. So during like the interim of us going between audio recordings, Cello has been placing copious amounts of uh, bad infomercial <laughs> gifts. Into the Slack. And we're going like, to put these out of the nowhere. Show. This is what he does when me and d are having a conversation. He's looking up. Yeah, that's not true. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I'm bored. I'm going to go look at infomercial <laughs> gifts. That'd
1: be
4: really <laughs> random. I didn't do that. <laughs> so, what did happen? Were you like looking at something in the infomercial gifts was on the sidebar and your mouse cursor slowly went over there? Is that what? I, I Googled does... like
1: some kind of healthcare Bitcoin and took me to a Tumblr page. And this was. This was one of the things there. And my court, I was like, who cracks eggs that way? Why would you just slam a fork into the side of your egg? And then I, then I got down the rabbit hole.
4: Welcome to you the not internet. Do you not know how to use a fucking ladle? Are you getting spaghetti <laughs> sauce all over your life?
2: <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Cracking your ankle just by walking? Oh, yeah. God. He is literally using a doorstop to cut that bread. You weren't just making something up. That's an infomercial commercial. Never heard
4: of a bread knife, but have heard of a doorstop. (laughs) Well, anyways, speaking. What if life was really this difficult? That's the way I'm going to start talking whenever I'm pitching Bitcoin to anyone. Ever heard of digital currency? (laughs) Ever tried to send money to China
2: in a world (laughs) where money is on the internet?
4: that's kind of like that's kind of like how our theme song ends though yeah like i made it super dramatic citizens of the internet i
2: I think d should do our next intro is that corny that i said citizens of the internet you
4: did no not really because it's a beautiful thing i like that uh, i'm into it citizens hold up welcome to the bitcoin podcast
2: that sounds like more like Ken Kniff from the Older uh, yeah. soundtracks. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways.
1: <laughs> can you do a Ken Kniff, Kid Cudi impression before we derail this whole podcast? Wait, let me see
4: if I can.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the all right, comes. all of our listeners have hit yeah. stop. They've moved on to another podcast. Let's talk they about Ethereum.
4: Yeah. <laughs> How much ether do you have, guys?
2: <laughs> all, right. all right, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about healthcare. And okay, Bitcoin. Let's talk about something we are all dreadfully
4: underqualified to talk about, but yeah, let's real. give it a shot. Okay, so what I do know about healthcare is that if I don't have health insurance and I accidentally stub my toe. I am then going to go bankrupt if I go to the emergency room.
2: All right. If I don't have Obamacare. (laughs) Now, what I... So what, what? What can you do about that? What can Bitcoin or blockchain do anything about that,
4: right? It's a good question. So what Bitcoin could do about that is it actually can make it so that you can go to a dark web doctor like a minority report. No, you pay for it cheaper. No, <laughs> I actually this don't. Is, I actually have no clue. Like, I don't. I don't know. This is um, more
1: what we talked about was more like securing yeah. clinical trials with the blockchain. Um, you know, there is a platform for to transfer healthcare data, um, propel healthcare industry into the block. So it's more. It's it's a subtle shift. It's not like, hey, how can I save money by using Bitcoin.
2: All right, so Not like anything. this is the way I like to view like if you if you ever wonder how something can be useful to something else, right? You have to. Like, I like to think of Bitcoin and blockchain as a central source of truth, right? And when you mm-hmm. have multiple companies sharing the same data, like think about this: when you go to one doctor, say we're talking about just talk, talk about dentists, right? Your whole life you grew up going to the same dentist when you're a kid, and every so on. and Every year, every couple of years, you get X-rays, and then those goes into some file. Y'all remember the files growing up, like you'd go to, uh, mm-hmm. like they just have a wall of files at the dentist office, and you show up, and they look through the wall of files, and they pull out your file, and be like, oh, here's your here's your recent X-rays. Oh, it's been a while, time to update them, and they do that, and then, all right, cool. Now that's your digits. They have all your they have your X-rays. They update them. That's where it is. So. When you move, you grow up, you go to college, and you eat a bunch of candy and drink a bunch of booze and your teeth get bad, you have to go to the dentist, but you're not going to go to the same dentist. Now, how does that new dentist have any idea of the history of your teeth and your cleaning and the things that you've done? Maybe you got some type of procedure and there's a recording of it somewhere. He doesn't have any of that information. He just looks at your teeth for the fresh start and just assumes based on what he sees. There's no history. There's no way for him to inform himself to make better judgments about how to take care of you. Having a central source of truth for all care providers so that they can be like, oh, here's your name. Here's the entire history of everything you've ever done, regardless of the doctor you've been to. And all of the information around it, they're better able to make judgments based on your previous health because everybody's different and the what like having this type of thing also allows them to not care about creating their own ways of doing these things storing all this information in their wall of files that every dentist office has all these things so it's cutting costs like it's cutting out a lot of the overhead and costs of doing these things. So not only are they getting much more information and history about all their clients, they also are doing it more efficiently in a way that they can share and save space and time and effort and money.
1: And it's independent of a central administrator.
2: That's the best part. Yeah. And they don't need a central (coughs) administrator to ask permission to use this type of network. They just, it's, it's, it's a central source of truth for everyone who's interested in that type of information. And it's, it's secure. It's, I mean, there's, there's certain ways you can do this, but that's kind of the, the basic idea of what you're trying to do when incorporating Bitcoin or blockchain into whatever it is you're trying to do. If you mm-hmm. have many, many people redoing the exact same thing and the transfer of that information from one person to another is difficult or not reliable or you have a lot of redundancy because they can't get access to the information, mm-hmm. Then there's a better way to do it, and, and in terms of medical care, having a central source of, inf- of truth for a human's medical history is huge. Yeah, we have to build standards, though. You got to think about medicines. Yeah, set standards need to be built, but you got to think about like medicines, medicine like con- like medicine interactions. All of that stuff can be built in because it's just a smart contract or a code. <laughs> you can think about the entire history, all your X-rays. Uh, Cross it's doctors, like it's, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Michelle. Um, I think it's just a matter of
1: switching out the underlying infrastructure, just like Corey's been uh, hinting to. But I do want to say nothing is production ready right now, so we're gonna have no, to get him back on the show is, as these things develop. This is
2: hard. This is not an easy yeah. task, and none of the things that are really truly innovative and disruptive are ever gonna be easy, because you're talking about. Changing the way people have been doing things for a very long time and all of the money and time and effort and infrastructure that's been built up around we've been doing that that thing we've been doing for so long. like Changing yeah. the habits of the average person, everyday people across the globe is really, really, really difficult. And it takes a lot of people spending a lot of time who need to be compensated somehow to do that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're not going to spend that time to do it.
4: Just take the Snuggie, for instance, like getting people to put robes on backwards.
2: For real. That took a long time.
4: That took a long time. <laughs> but then once they got it, it's like, damn, I could just put this robe on backwards and keep my whole front body warm. And then my back body's in <laughs> the couch. So it's literally perfect. So,
2: anyway. There has to <laughs> Sorry. be some type of bad infomercial for that. <laughs> Having trouble keeping your front body warm?
4: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, sorry. I always derail your very introspective. and That's good.
2: People don't get bored by my conversations.
4: No, I don't see who could get bored. In fact, if somebody's getting bored by your conversation, I picture them with people that like their eyes are crossed and maybe they have that long thing of drool going down. And it's like, wow, you're barely, barely there. You're barely there, aren't you? You know, when you look at people in the eye and you could just tell like, ooh, there's not a lot of activity going on up top they're just kind of there. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's people like, did you
0: just kick yeah. Cudi on me?
2: <laughs> yeah. Anyways.
0: Well, like, like that,
2: that kind like, of, <laughs> coming back to what I was saying, like, how like, this is something that, we have a generation, I think our generation, maybe a little younger, wants everything for free. Because they grew up with the internet. And they're used to just being like, I'm not going to pay for that. I just want it for free but how are people going to make something worth digesting or or, or worthwhile to change and disrupt and create something that's going to work that's reliable and Mm -hmm. not get paid to do it because it's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of resources Mm -hmm. and it, it takes a lot of patience and iteration and expertise and there's only a certain amount of time in the day. And where you allocate that time is very important, especially if you're trying to, make, you're trying to do something like this. You need mm-hmm. to be paid to do it, and you're not going to do it for free.
4: You know what I think is going to be the groundbreaking thing? Like to, to add on to what you're talking about is when somebody makes a digital, digitally-based product, whatever it may be, and that product is only accessible with Bitcoin, and that product is as monumentally groundbreaking as, say, Netflix, uh, or well, something like that.
2: <laughs> that's talking back to what the, the, the Coinbase guy says. He keeps talking about kind of the tokenization of a network, right? When you like the Bitcoin, the, using a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin is a tokenization. The token you use to to gain access and use the Bitcoin network. Ether is the tokenization of the distributed world computer. You have. Mm-hmm. Different tokens for different network protocols that do different uh, things. Excuse me. And whichever network protocol, whichever like blockchain application ends up being incredibly popular, that token that you use to exchange or use that use that network becomes becomes worthwhile. It becomes mm-hmm. it become it, it evaluates or sorry inflates the money. Not inflates the money, but you know what I mean? The evaluation is of that the token million. rises, becomes yeah. more wanted, so the price goes up. And that's that's what tokens are doing with a blockchain application is just a, essentially a, almost like a stock of the network. It, it allows you to buy access or invest in that network if you think that it's going to be worthwhile in the future and you can hold it but also if you want to use that network then you have to use that token if it's a if it's a decent decent network a decent blockchain application mm-hmm. that token is also useful so not only could it gain value but it's useful it's not just there for value which is a whole new paradigm for creating a way to use an application That allows you to invest in that application, but also gain access to using it at the same time. Like for a lot of the voting applications or ways people do voting, you need a token. You have no say until you have a token. And the amount Mm -hmm. of tokens you have is the amount of say that you have in that network, typically. And so you Mm -hmm. have to put your money where your mouth is and make a guess on what you think is going to be valuable in the future. And as that thing gains more and more access, say it it becomes ubiquitous across uh, like people using the internet, then you've made a good bet and you should be rewarded for that. And that also comes in the question of like why people are doing ICOs or pre-mines is that the people who build these networks that potentially become ubiquitous across the entire community should be rewarded for building it, but they're being rewarded in the tokens that they create. So if it doesn't work, then they get nothing. They get a bunch of waste, wasted tokens that don't mean anything. But if people use it, then they're rewarded for creating the thing that they created in the token that they also created. So it's it's, it's yeah. a natural way to kind of Bet for yourself.
0: Hmm. It's I don't interesting. think people
2: see that. Like it's like, yeah, yeah, of course. If you built something fucking awesome, you should be rewarded for it. If people yeah. use it, then you get rewarded. Yeah. If they don't, then you've built nothing, and your tokens are worth nothing.
4: Maybe I think I kind of in one of our interviews I I um talked down on the Zcash guys.
2: Which interview was that? That was the, yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with this. It's like, but the thing about Zcash that's different is that we don't quite know what they've done. It's not transparent, but mm. that begs the question of: Should we care if it's a network that's useful? Should we not use it because we think someone has a lot of money in it? Yeah, it then that that question that you want, then so what?
4: Then the obvious question falls immediately and goes to Satoshi, what he's going to do with all of his money that yeah. he has right okay.
2: now. Let's say that he has, so. say, Bitcoin's getting worth you know a ridiculous amount in the future. And he's like, all right, finally, I'm going to cash out. I'm the richest man in the world. So what? Do we stop using yep. the Bitcoin network?
4: Mm-hmm. I don't think we do. But I do know that Street Fighter token sound means that we should probably wrap it up. All right. Sounds good to me. Um, think about that, Pabs. Yeah, yeah pab. About that. yeah, pab. Uh so the Bitcoinpodcast.com is our website. You know? Sorry, I'm not gonna do that in Ken's voice. Or Ken Kinnip's voice, not Ken. <laughs> not Ken. But anyways, the Bitcoin Podcast dot com. That's our website. It's actually very, very resourceful. We've got news on there. We have uh, statistics of our website and how we're performing and how you can help boost that performance by telling everybody you know to listen to this awesome shit. Um, We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We've got a sibling show called Block Channel where we're me, myself, host number 2D, is working with Stephen Mackey uh, to bring in all sorts of personalities from more than just Bitcoin, but blockchain projects. Uh, We had Joe Lubin on the first episode talking about Ujo. Which means you can invest in an artist, and as that artist gets popular, you make money with the artist because you have equity in their performance. Your brain probably just popped. Uh, what else? We're partnered with Cointelegraph. Doc, did your brain pop, Cello? I don't think that's a very good idea.
1: <laughs> Why not? Who's, what artist is going to give up equity?
2: so one you can support the, them one that wants money. never mind that listen to if that somebody, episode.
4: If somebody that wants money and they crowdfund their money to do their thing the people that crowdfunded them get a get equity
2: that's and, how businesses work that's how that's how most silicon valley businesses work is they give away equity for money in the beginning and over time that, as they get better valuations they give away less and less equity because they're worth more
1: but you're only gonna you're only gonna give away equity if you need I mean, I'm only going to buy equity into you if you're already semi-successful.
2: Well, that's you.
4: That, Some people aren't that's like that. You. If I you. If I see an artist and I'm like, damn, that shit is hot fire, I'm going to invest $500 in you because I believe that you have a talent that is going to obviously be popular. Obviously. If people don't see this, then they don't know what music is. And then, boom, that guy gets popular. All of a sudden, my $500 has turned into $50,000. Because they're the new Kanye. Fucking boom. Yeah, All I'm right, going uh, to retire
1: because I, I own 0.8% of Lupe Fiasco.
4: Boom. It's the future, baby. It's the future. <laughs>
0: still,
4: still <laughs> okay. All right. Go ahead.
2: Uh, what else do we do? Get us where you find podcasts. Go to the website. Go to iTunes. Give us a review. Yep. Mm-hmm.
4: And I'm our like show. Our show actually goes down better if you're drunk. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Everything goes down it, better. I'm not now. kidding. Um, <laughs> that's kind of true. It does. Uh, anyways, uh, give us five stars on iTunes if you haven't. It. Um, it helps us. It helps people listen to us uh, that don't know we exist. Um, then what other things? Um,
2: all the things. That's all
4: the things. You know the drill. Um, all
2: right
0: play the outro yeah yeah